Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast with David Savage and Jack Pierce, publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. This is the show packed full of interviews and debate with technology leaders for the love of tech. On today's podcast, we are talking to Carsten Smet. He's the COO of UK Cloud. But before that, hello, Jack. Hello, Dave. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, Rosie and I had a lovely steak dinner last night at Marco Pierre White. So, oh, delightful. Yeah. yeah, still feeling full up from that, actually, yeah, to be honest. What, 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 what cut of, of, of steak did you have? I think I got the sirloin. It came with like a big, nice rind of fat along the side. Sorry right. to any vegan li- listeners. Uh, and then, yeah, got it rare. And then we got loads of sides and that as well. And, oh, it's so good. It's melting your mouth steak. Yeah. That's how good it is. I just, I'd say I love, it. I love a bit of rump. <laughs> yeah, love a bit of rump. <laughs> with a bit of peppercorn dodgy. sauce. It does sound dodgy. Yes. Yeah. Peppercorn sauce. Yep, always. I, I had peppercorn sauce. Rosie had the other one. What's the other sauce they do with it? Bernays. Uh, Bernays, that's it. It's quite Always chivy. disappointing. Uh, yeah, I just find it too fresh for a steak sauce. Like, it's almost got like a fresh kick to it. And I'm like, no, I need, I need a heavy, thick sauce for my steak. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, not a fan. Too buttery, not, not worth exactly. it. Exactly. You're off to Charlton tomorrow. Yes. So um, I'm off to down the valley. Uh, yeah, my, a good friend of mine is a Portsmouth fan. Uh, and me and him go and watch them whenever we can. Uh, we were down actually at Fratton Park earlier in the year, and we're also potentially going to the Checker Trade Final against Sunderland um, in a few weeks' time. But yeah, tomorrow down the valley for promotion, promotion fight uh, between Charlton and, and Portsmouth. Yeah, very much looking forward to it. What you are you know doing what? this weekend? That's proper football. None of this yeah. Premier League rubbish. That we, yeah, none we of this follow. watching Arsenal lose every week bollocks. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> Trying to get behind someone else who might actually put a smile on my face. But to, to be fair, Charlton have one Arsenal loan either. So I'll be keeping an eye on Christian Bielek, uh, who astute football fans will know as the, uh, the footballer who was kicked in the balls by a fan running onto the pitch and falling over. Oh, that was, that that was, that was, yeah, yeah. That was hilarious. The guy who slips. Yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah, hilarious. Yeah. One of, yeah, one of, yeah. See, that's why the internet exists, to capture moments like that. Yep. Yep, definitely. That's why that, that's why we're all here for for you've been framed online essentially. <laughs> Are you ready for the most tenuous link we've ever attempted? Oh, they get worse and worse, but I'm always ready. I mean, you could outsource your IT to a Premier League conglomerate, depersonalized oh, Man City esque of the world, like I don't know, an Accenture or someone. <laughs> you could find someone that you can really relate to. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, have you got any mind? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, joking aside, um, our subject of today's interview, UK Cloud, uh, they're reasonably new on the market. Again, I suppose this is this is harking back a little bit to um, Infinity Works. It's it's a similar mm. style story, um, but interesting in that here we are uh, with an interview based in London dealing a lot with the public sector, with central government, and, and really interesting as well to get the COO's story. You know, someone who's working very closely with founders, very much involved in uh, culture. And as he gets into this interview, and I'm sure, I'm sure people will find this interesting. I thought it was fascinating. His journey from being someone who is pretty hands-on and, and deeply technical to being far more interested now in culture. Mm, mm, yeah. 
But no more spoilers. We'll jump into it and we will have some thoughts afterwards. So today we are talking to Carsten. You're the COO of UK Cloud. Yep. Thanks for making some time. It's the end of a Friday. It is, yeah. It had a, the weekend. Uh, yeah, had a good week. Uh, it's been okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's been it's, a good week. It's one of those questions where everyone kind of goes, yeah, busy. Yeah, it's always busy. Yeah. Uh, look, um, as I said, thanks for, for making some time. Uh, UK Cloud, I've got to be honest, wasn't a, an organisation I was overly aware of before uh, we kind of started talking to you and I was speaking to your, your colleague Leighton. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to make the assumption that people listening might not be familiar with you. It'd be good to just understand exactly what you do. Okay. So um, UK Cloud, we are a, an IaaS uh, provider, so an infrastructure provider for, for customers who want to take cloud services. Mm-hmm. Um, founded back in 2011 and, and that service has really been primarily focused on the public sector. So we look at how can we reduce the cost from public sector so that our taxpayers' money is not going into lots of infrastructure sat in big warehouses and big data centres around the UK. Mm-hmm. So it, it tries to drive that value back to our, our own pockets. And it was uh, four people around a, around a table drinking probably too much coffee in 2011. That's right, yeah. So it's a coffee shop, working through coding, trying to figure out how can we do this? How can we, how can we really make a difference to, to people in the in the taxpayer right how can we make it so that actually what we're providing is going to be great value and today you are 220 people correct so obviously it's been successful that 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 niche has kind of worked but what's your role specifically in the business i mean you described yourself before we hit recording as a, as a born again technologist so be good to know kind of yeah. what that is and how you fit into the picture so um yeah so before i actually joined uk cloud i was I, back in the day I was a mainframe programmer so made a fatal mistake of actually um, starting to learn mainframes as my first technology when I, when I right. left university. Um, as a time when they're actually dying out, it's probably not the best decision. Um, but I ended up joining UK Cloud as the Chief Operating Officer and, and really my role is very much around how we drive customer experience, mm. how do we drive our, our services to high availability and make sure they're actually meeting our customers' needs on a regular basis. Um, get involved in all sorts of things, whether it be the people, values, um, the kind of things that we drive in terms of our apprenticeships, lots of lots of different areas uh, of the business, business planning. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's a really good, varied role. So it's varied, but yeah. what do you really enjoy? And that's not to say that there are elements of the job that you don't enjoy, but yeah. everyone has, has stuff that they love spending time on, right? Uh, yeah, for me, it's all about the customer, right? Yeah. So the, the primary focus has got to be around um, how we provide a real first-class experience. That That is the number one thing. Um, it's something that I've been passionate about since the days of the mainframe when I, I was working at British Airways. So a, bit of a, a little bit of a backstory on the British Airways piece. Mm-hmm. When you first joined back in the day, they would actually sit you out and, and let you sit and, and bring people through the service in terms of checking them in or having a look at the way that the crew would actually bring people onto the planes. And when you actually start to correlate what you're doing as a technologist to how that affects people's lives... That, that had a really profound effect on me. Mm-hmm. That, made, that was something which really sat. So understanding that it's all about getting people to meet up, join, families getting back together, bringing people from a war zone back into a, a situation where they're safe. That's what drove me at British Airways. That was the thing that really landed. That's what I've taken with me in every job I've done. And that's what makes me really passionate about people and the customer. Mm-hmm. So I always look at that whenever I'm thinking about a scenario at work. When we're looking at an operation or a technology, it's how do I make it so that the people who are going to be getting that service or getting that offering, they, they really feel the value and it actually makes a difference to their lives. And you're, t- you're touching on that point that regardless of the technology, it has to be driven by people's needs. Correct. Um, cloud is this really broad subject. Yeah. Right. I, I, I find it kind of interesting that even though we get very caught up in the hype of things like AI and blockchain and 
cloud almost feels like it might be kind of old fashioned. It's not, it's still incredibly relevant. There's still a lot of organizations who haven't gone through that transformation yeah. yet. And when they do approach it, there's a whole range of different kind of needs appearing from the customer. So what, what do people generally want when they're talking to you? Absolutely. I think um, sometimes they know, right? I think this is the, the hardest thing about cloud. When I talk to customers, they might start talking to me about, um, I want to put email in the cloud or I want to take a, um, a service and put it into the cloud or I want to develop straight onto a cloud platform. They don't quite understand that cloud can mean many things, right? And there is no one single cloud solution for any customer's needs. There's usually multiple different things they have to take. If you're going to go down the route of, I want to take email or I want to do SharePoint in the cloud, you might go for an Office 365 service. Sometimes if you want to put a big legacy application on, you have to pick a different kind of platform. But what our customers are really looking to do is save money in terms of, I don't want to buy my own tin and I don't want to then sweat that asset. I actually would rather UK Cloud or another provider takes that cost and then we'll lease it back to them. In, in essence, you pay as you consume. It's a consumption-based model. So it saves them saves them cost. It saves them that initial outlay. And it means they have the flexibility, particularly on our platform, that if they don't want to use it anymore, they can leave. They can walk away at any point. There's no contracts for us. We don't work on that, which also makes the people piece really important. So if I'm not satisfying my customer, they can just walk away. So I'm really, really in a position where I have to do a good job, otherwise we lose customers. So um, how do you position yourself? I mean, you're talking to some huge organizations, right? Mm-hmm. Some of the biggest central kind of government bodies, yeah. and thousands of people, and you're this organization of, of 220 people, and you're up against, um, I suppose, there will be organizations that in some areas you compete with and some areas you partner with. Correct. So how do you make sure that you get your message across to the client in a way that they go, here's, here's, here's a company that we can work with and trust, I suppose. Credibility must be something that you have to really work at to build when you're not the big brand necessarily in the market. Yeah. I think in some ways we were quite lucky. We, we started out in 2011 when the first um, iterations of GCloud began. Um, it was a position for customers or, or um, government agencies to only select certain UK-based businesses. Mm. So it did narrow that market, which meant we were very successful early on. As that market's expanded out and we've seen some of the bigger players come into the market from the hyperscaler, that has meant that it's more of a challenge, right? So then you do have to build on the reputation you've already got over the years from providing that service, but also look at where you're different. So um, we know that we're different in terms of the levels of security and service and, and sovereignty that we can provide to our customer base. So we'll often position it in that way. So people do want to have their data held in the UK. They don't want the thought of it being shipped off to the US and Donald Trump getting his hands on it. Yep. Um, that fills people with fear. So And you're in the healthcare space as well. So you, you, there's, there's areas where you physically can't do that for, for legal reasons, right? Yeah, and, and you wouldn't want your, your healthcare data in Trump's hands, right? Yeah. Anyone would. <laughs> so, um, Any data. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, anything at all. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we've got to be very careful about it. But um, that's one of the areas we would typically look to position ourselves. It's around mm. that sovereignty. Um, but I think the, the most important I've seen thing in the last uh, sort of two years we've seen is a shift and transition into wanting a great level of service. A so customer service has become such an important thing. Um, it's a bit like the airlines when you know British Airways used to have the market because that was what everyone wanted to do. They wanted a great experience on an aeroplane. And then suddenly you saw this cheap one-size-fits-all EasyJet model and, and Ryanair. And now you're seeing it swing back towards more of a hyper-personalized service. You still want to, you know, British Airways has started to break the service up. So you still get a personalized service of a, a more premium airline, but you're not paying the same prices. And we're seeing the same shift in computing and technology and cloud. It's the same concept. You used to pay for something very expensive and very you. Then people all wanted to go and jump on the, it's cheap, it's just the same sort of bog standard stuff. 
what we're now realizing is actually people want to be hyper-personalized. They want that special service. They don't want to be just a number. They don't want to ring up a, a cloud provider and go, I've got a problem. And they go, yeah, so is everyone else, you know, go away. They want you to treat them like they are special. They want to feel like if they have a problem, they've got somewhere to go. If they want some help, they know they're going to get listened to. If they are um, challenged in any way, they've got a partner. And that is one of the biggest things I've seen in the last two years in the shift in our business has been how do we become that special partner for our customer base? Does that does that alter the kind of customer that you're dealing with internally? Is it is it maybe a rung below the sea level where it's someone who's got a a particular problem and then you go in and you fix one particular problem and then maybe you kind of land and expand and move out to different projects without going let's go after the big piece of the pie it depends vastly on which the areas we're working in but it does often work like that particularly in the really large organizations so you tend to find that one area will have some budget they want to spend they'll spend that you'll demonstrate the value and then naturally you'll progress into another area of their business mm-hmm. um, for some of our smaller partners um, we might be the biggest player, so we might only be dealing with their C level. So we don't really differentiate between only working with a massive organisation and a smaller organisation. We try and treat, treat them all the same, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that makes us a little bit unique. Um, it makes our, I think, our partners feel much more welcome. That a small partner with only ten people might feel the same way as a partner with hundred thousand people who works with us. We we try and treat them in that same way. So sometimes it's C level, sometimes it's that organic growth from just fixing something for an individual, an engineer, and then letting it morph. Now you've gone from four people, uh, and you're predicting by the end of this year you might be around about 300 people in a, yeah. in a reasonably short space of time. How has your own culture changed, right? Because you've got a core of people there who will have been hyper-invested in that platform at an early stage, and then people joining from larger organisations with a different set of eyes, right? Yeah, so it's um, it, it causes a lot of challenge. You, you have gone from a startup mentality where... Actually, what you want to do is try and become a little bit more enterprise, a little bit more um, large scale and learn from these big organizations. So jump in. Do you think there's a tipping point where that happens? Or Yeah, I, I, that's, a, well, that's a hard one to answer. I think it depends on, the, on how quickly you grow as a business versus a number of people. Right. Um, so obviously people do come into it, but actually it becomes more of a, we're a serious player in the market now. You, you have to, to almost grow up at that point. You have to start thinking about scale because otherwise you're just going to end up having to add more and more people to get around the problem. The only way of actually bringing in scale is by often bringing people with a different set of ideas who've seen it and done it at a really big level on a big big scale. So um, we've had to try and bring in some real external talent and strong people to help drive us forward while still nurturing those who have helped build that platform, who understand it. And to be honest, those early day contributors at the UK Cloud are so deeply passionate about the taxpayer and the story and where it's come from if you lose that, you kind of rip the heart out of the business. So we've had to sort of protect that while adding that layer of skills and technology around the outside and morphing that culture together. You often hear stories of kind of founders, it's their business, they yeah. built it, they know best. But equally, they might, okay. they might not have been in a, in a senior role outside of a, of a large organisation and that can run a business into trouble. I mean, yeah. without getting into details, have you found that your, your C-level, your exec have been accommodating to understanding, hang on a minute, there are times where we need to step back and we're not necessarily the experts. So we're really lucky, right? So our C-level have been in large organisations. So they they were in big organisations before they started UK Cloud. So in a lot of ways, we have got the best of both. We've had entrepreneurship in terms of some of our our board and also some of those extra skills and extra um, background that our C-level have, which 
have come from big organisations mm. in the past or have found and drive and, and realise big organisations in the past. So we've been lucky. Um, we're also very privileged in that our, if I look at my, my boss, right, he's really good at letting me go, right? He, he lets us go and trust. One of the biggest things in an organisation our side is, size is that trust. If we don't have that, then we are going to really struggle. So he knows that he's not a monitoring specialist, so mm-hmm. he's not going to try and make a decision, which he probably had to make back in 2012 or 11, where I'm going to go and buy this product. He leaves that to me to make that decision. As long as I've got common sense and I can reason it with him and he understands my logic, he'll, he'll back it, he'll buy into it. And, and I think that's such an important thing as part of our business and our culture is that we, we breed that trust. We, we do it with our apprentices and you know, it's one of the biggest things. We let them go onto our platform, we let them work. I was going to ask about that because you, you're looking at growing by possibly about 50% this mm-hmm. year and there's no way you can do that just by bringing in uh, senior hires. So how, how are you, I'm assuming apprentices make up a large part of that growth. Yeah. yeah. How do you bring them in successfully? Because we hear a lot of stories of organisations who want to utilise the apprenticeship levy, they want to broaden the, the technology pool skill set but doing that when you're growing as an organization and people are on kind of grappling with client issues and you know they they say we don't have time to handhold someone so how do you get the structure right internally to actually allow you to do that we've been we've been very privileged we we get some good people coming through but we we look at apprentices and interns from from university and we we use them in a slightly different way so we we don't want to just put someone into a um a job which is just data inputting or I'm going to give you one task to do for 12 months and just stick with it. Um, what we try and do is have a rotation around the teams. We look for skill sets which correlate to the area they're going to fit in. So if they're in operations, they're going to learn about VMware, customer support, knock, but they actually work side by side with people doing the job. We try and treat them like a full-time employee. And what we've noticed is the more um, the more responsibility we've given them over the last 12 months, the more actually they grow and each of the, the new sets of interns and the new sets of apprentices, we're actually seeing that become even, even more the case. Mm. So we're learning quickly that by trusting them and giving that, that um, responsibility and accountability, they, they embrace it and they actually pick things up. And as a result, we end up with a great uh, full-time hire off the back end of it or someone going back to university who talks highly about us and we bring in some more apprentices and interns off the back of it. And it also keeps our pipeline going. Um, we do the same with um, with people coming out of defence and, and, and army and, and navy and, and military backgrounds, because again they've got great skills which you can bring into an operational environment mm. where they they just pick things up incredibly quickly, and it also really fits into our secure sort of mindset because our model is very much a security based one. It really fits into that beautifully. Well, look, it's uh, it's time is ticking on on a Friday. So yeah. let you go and enjoy your weekend. But I appreciate you giving up a few minutes to, to share some thoughts with us. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend. Jack, what, what stood out to you? I mean, Carsten's journey is incredible. I mean, I, I did laugh that when he got into tech, he was already getting into kind of like legacy tech with uh, yeah. mainframe programming, which I found hilarious. I, I love that. But clearly he had the, the eye for tech and the desire for tech. Um, but Carsten really drives the point home about customer service. Um, which a lot of people do on, on on our show, but he really lays it out in such a in such a good way that I think everybody needs to sort of adopt his approach to customer service. Um, but most pertinently, like he's talking about the shift in, in customer service and and what it, how it's changed and what's become important. And uh, he cites his time at BA, um, where you know BA was the go to person you'd fly with anywhere in the world, anytime because you trusted them, right? You mm. knew you knew who BA were and whatever. 
And it, it was the whole experience of travelling with BA was so special. Um, up until EasyJet and Ryanair come along with their very cheap, very non-nice experience kind of flights. But people will always be like, well, what would you rather, pay 70 quid to fly to Spain or 300 quid? You know, everyone's going to choose a cheap option. So then BA, their whole thing was like kind of, accidentally falling into being a premium airline with that experience side still but where it's been disrupted uh, and where uh, and as, as Carsten says you know people are more interested in experiences now buying experiences as well which really really reminded me of Koala on last week's show and, and Airbnb you know, when people are buying holidays now they're not just buying a flight or a holiday they're buying the whole experience um, which I think is very um, very very pertinent to, to tech, as as Carsten uh, makes the point a lot more um, succinctly than I do. You know, you would pay a lot for tech back in the day. Then cheaper versions came out, and now everyone's it hyper personalised. They want to feel special and listened to. They want it, you know, about them. They want it embodying them um, to know that they have a partner, and that's where UK Cloud have sort of found their sweet spot. You know, they're a trusted partner to loads whilst also being, you know, really, really hot on customer service and experience. Yeah. I mean, look, I hate Ryanair, but say what you will yes. about challenger brands and, and ones yep. that come into a market and undercut more established players. They force mm-hmm. those brands to innovate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, um, I don't think without EasyJet and Ryanair, we would have Koala and Airbnb. You know, that almost opened up another side of the market that, that didn't exist. You know, I mean, we've, travel agents have been around for years, um, but it's an archetypal process. You know, like I don't, even my parents don't go into a travel agents anymore. You know, <laughs> it's just, it's an outdated way of going on holiday. And um, I know I keep using his analogy to sum it up, but it's the same with tech. It is. Look, we talk about culture a hell of a lot. What, what do you think about his take on culture? I mean, it's, it's really interesting what he says. Um, like, they had a startup mentality um, that they kind of loved. And then he makes some, some oh, they're, they're truly fantastic points. I just want to find it so I get it right in my notes. Um, so they had a startup mentality that they maybe reached a tipping point uh, when they had to sort of, and I don't think he meant this in a negative way at all, but where they had to scale and grow up. Uh, essentially um, and he had to bring in people with big scale ideas um, but it was still incredibly important for him to nurture those early day contributors because of their deep passion because of their their mission and their you know their their dream to make the taxpayer's life easier you know mm. and he and Carsten says if you took if you left behind those original innovators and those original people that helped and just went with big scale big ideas to you know ramp up and make money you would rip the heart out of the business. So it was incredibly important for him to protect that early culture that they had. But also on the other side of the coin, he's like, he says how his boss just lets him run, you know, crack on cast. And it's, for me, what was, uh, what was most obvious about UK Cloud was the fact that they are a very, very trusting organisation. And that, that is interesting, isn't it, right? Because a founder can come up with an idea and they can know yep. that there's a business there. But that, do, that doesn't make you a commercial business manager. Or com- you know, you could be a leader, but you're not necessarily a business manager. I, I would like to think that I could come up with an idea, but I wouldn't have the first clue about running an organization. And I, I suppose that's where you do need that COO, where you do need someone who can yep. come in. And, and I suppose the success of the business all comes down to that understanding that the founding members of an organization have of how, how do we fit in beyond that initial 
here we are, this is our company, here's 10 mm. of us, 20 of us, 30 of us in a room, we're building it, isn't it exciting? And it begins to scale. So it's, it's so funny that you mentioned this because I was, I was scrolling through LinkedIn um, and I sat next to Josie, who was on the Thursday show and who's a regular contributor to the show as well. And anyway, so I, I stumbled across this video on LinkedIn. I think it was an ad, but I'm not entirely sure. But basically, it was a, it was a chap talking about, he was, talking about his business. And he was basically, he was the founder, but also the head of product. And I said to Josie, like, bloody hell, like, this bloke's founded a business, but he's only head of product. And now I know head of product is an incredibly important role, but it's like, surely you'd be CTO or founder or, or CEO. And Josie then, you know, being much smarter than I am, said, no, just because he's head of product doesn't mean he's not in charge. It just means that he has got someone in to do that strategy side for him. He you recognizes know, you don't know where his strengths are. Exactly. So I sort of had to get back into my box a bit. I was sort of going with, oh, he, he didn't stand by his beliefs. He's just let someone walk all over him. Josie's gone, no, you're wrong, Jack. He's probably smart enough to realise that he can't do that side. And, you know, mm. that is massively respectful because if I, like you, know, you just said, if I started a business, I would believe that I would be the one to run it successfully. Now, I wouldn't, but I would still be egotistical and arrogant enough to think that I would. So, you know, maybe that's why I'll never successfully it's not just... uh, make it done. It's not just that, though. It's the fact that it's your idea, your business. Yeah, You've given up your baby. career. Yeah. So to have that awareness and then to act on it, it's pretty brave. Let's, let's not just say, oh, it's, a, it's a, an awareness of what you're good at and what you're not good at. It's also brave to hand over the reins of your baby. Let's, I, I think, give that some kudos. To full circle it, it just shows you the importance of trust in, in your business's culture. You know, if you've got a founder that knows, you know, they're not necessarily strategic or commercial related or whatever, they then put all of that trust in a new hire. Or who is it we had on, Dave, who had the, um, the really, really good chairman? Oh, it was a while ago. The chairman oh, just basically... Uh, flat, uh, ideal flatmate. Yes, ideal flatmate. That's, that's a story that this... That, that, um, that was reminiscent of uh, UK Clouds. You know, they had a chairman that believed in them and let them sort of just go off. And, you know, he dealt with, you know, the, the, the more mundane bureaucratic side and it worked for him. Mm. And we often think about, you know, we talk about the fact that it's obvious that culture evolves. Culture's got to evolve from small business to a large business. But just by bringing in a COO and recognizing that you need a particular skill set to help your business, mm. the people in, you know, that is going to define your culture. That is by its nature going to evolve uh, the culture in a planned and logical way rather than it. I think we sometimes think that it's an organic thing. Of course it evolves, but no, it, it should be planned. It's bringing in yeah. the hires that you need to give your business the structure and the path to grow. Um, and I, yeah, that, there's a lot touched on in the interview that I thought was, was interesting around those points of really formalizing and thinking about that process and, and strategy around it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, incredible. I mean, Carsten, if we ever make a startup, Dave, we need to get in charge, uh, in touch with Carsten to be our COO. Nicky yeah. from UK, UK Cloud. Yeah, 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 exactly. Should, should be relatively easy. Oh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's uh, he, he, he really, really, I mean, I know, it, I, and I don't mean to positively condescend, but he really knows what he's talking about. He really knows what the customer's thinking, and he also knows what, you know, what his UK Cloud is thinking as well. Right, I think that will probably do for that conversation. We will take it into our advert break and come back in a second. Farewell, but not goodbye. Do you know what that is? No. Bobby Robson's autobiography. All the better, read by Bobby Robson. No way. Yeah. 
what a legend of the game he was. Exactly. It's a great book to read, but listening to Bobby Robson talking you through his life, that's special. Exactly. My choice is uh, The Sisters Brothers, which is a film starring Jake Gyllenhaal and John C. Riley that has been released worldwide apart from in the UK. So, I'm going to listen to the audiobook. If anyone's wondering why we've suddenly started talking about books, it's because if you head over to audible.co.uk forward slash tech talks, you can get a free month's trial there, courtesy of your favourite technology podcast. Get listening. It's my turn to go first. It's my turn. It's my turn. It's my turn. It's Dave. your turn. Right. You know just how much I'm for AI taking away mundane jobs, right? You know how much I believe in the technology, machine learning, AI, all of that jazz can really help take away the mundanity uh, of shit tasks in jobs, yeah? Yes. Now, Dave, today, they've taken it too far. They've taken it too far. Now, don't laugh at the source, but an article from Radio New Zealand. <laughs> how, Sorry, right, okay. now I'm not. Right. Get on this. I'm not happy with this. Well, I, it's fine. Barking drones used on farms instead of sheepdogs. Oh. Now, robots aren't just stealing human jobs. They're after man's best friends too. Now, there's a drone that can bark like a sheepdog. Uh, now, let me just give you a couple of quotes because I was ready to give this both barrels, and I still am. They've actually asked the lowly New Zealander farmer. So, um, Adam, can I can I uh, jump in without without yes, knowing anything yes. about this? Um, the one thing I will say, you know, if you are a sheep farmer, um, I don't think you'll ever get rid of your dog because I think there yep. is an emotional attachment there. But I think drones definitely have a place when you're talking about actually some fairly challenging terrain. And in yep. some circumstances, your flock might migrate over quite large areas. So I, I think this is this is aiding a dog's work. No, you're right. And I just, <laughs> I just wanted to, yeah, augmenting the dog's life. I just wanted to adopt that very much uh, scaremongering um, ideology at the start there. But as, as the article goes on to explain, um, so we speak to uh, Adam Kerr, who's a Christchurch-based drone specialist, right? right. Uh, Christchurch being in New Zealand. Um, past two years have seen farmers embrace on drone technology to help with those jobs that are dirty, dangerous, or just plain dull. So then we meet Corey Lambeth, a shepherd on a North Canterbury sheep and beef farm near Rotherham in New Zealand, not in England, <laughs> uh, said his drone had made work such as moving stock, checking water and feed levels more efficient. Mm. So here we go. This is exactly what you were saying, Dave. Wintertime is ideal for flying it, sitting at home on a cold day. I don't want to go outside, so I fly my drone around, have a look, make sure all my, sure, make sure all my stock are behind the wire. Also, when we're lambing, we can fly it round. Yeah. It's ideal with the camera zoom going right in and looking at the drone, going right in and looking at it, and not even disturbing the ewes. I was going to um, say, like, it's, it's not even that. You like, you might have um, a you giving birth in the middle of the night, halfway up a, a fell, right? Yep. In tr in torrential conditions, lambing is the hardest two weeks of a farmer's calendar, uh, and it's very very dangerous for their flock. Uh, you, you've you've picked uh, without without thinking clearly, Jack. You've got to remember that my dad is a vicar in a moorland parish full of sheep farmers. I've had these conversations, Dave, mate. <laughs> Dave, you'll know I'll never give a fuck about any of that. But <laughs> I'm joking. No, no, but no, you're right. Like, and the article is right, and and it goes on to say um, 
Mr. Lambert said he had no plans to start leaving his five dogs at home when he was going to work. Um, there's definitely going to be a place for dogs always on the farm. The one downside of the drones or anything electronic is you still need to bring them into charge. So there you go. But it, it, the article also raises a really good point that I don't know if we've ever thought about, but those dogs stress the sheep out. The drones, they're, they're unnoticeable. They're, they're just flying around, which actually juxtaposes an old article where it said the drones were really noisy. So I don't know if they've slightly changed the tech to make drones really quiet. Um, these are, these are yeah, autonomous, I, are they? No, I don't think they're autonomous. I haven't seen, uh, no, I don't think it is autonomous. I think he has okay. to control it. Um, but yeah, just to go back, like I was, I was teasing at the top of this, but I, you know, this is great. And like you say, dogs will always remain on the farm. There's always a place for dogs on the farm. Of course there is. But if this is going to make farmers' lives easier, and I think it will, and it will only get better. Agricultural tech is so hot. It's on those bloody Microsoft AI adverts with Common, isn't it? You know, you mm-hmm. see the Microsoft farmers are using AI to fully yield their crops this year. That really, you know, horribly cheesy advert. So we know it's doing good. Um, I just, I just don't want sheepdogs to, to feel like they're being left out. Hey, but if it's sha- if, if it's shaving, if it's saving sheep's <laughs> lives, dear, all sorts sheep of- lives matter. Yeah, sheep lives matter. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. That's Said why we need AI. <laughs> hey, and Northumbria. <laughs> right, uh, you're going to have, have a go at me because I've gone to the next web for this. Oh, ever. Hey, I scrolled the internet and found an article from Radio <laughs> New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this, this I like, right? How to convince sure. your boss to buy your conference ticket. Oh, Ryder sent you this about South by Southwest a couple of weeks ago. Oh, did Slightly it? different one. Yeah, because we were laughing about it, saying, I wonder if we get tech talks to South by Southwest. And then Ryder found an article, How to Convince Your Boss to Let You Go to South by Southwest. He did send it to you, so it's good to see that it's worked. Well, look, you know, for all of our technology listeners out there who, who want to go to these conferences and, and want work to pay for it, I thought this was worth, worth, worth talking about because, you know, there are a lot of conferences over the summer and autumn and uh, we're going to be at a few of them. And we thought, you know, we'll give you a few tips on hopefully joining us there. Right. I'm, I'm all ears, Dave. So without further ado, let's, this, is how, this is how we do it, right? Step one, find their weakness. Okay. Okay. Now, with Andy, with Andy, with my boss, his weakness is probably... West Ham. West Ham and beer, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they give a bit more practical advice here, though. Do they admire someone who will be speaking on stage? Unfortunately, Neil Razorrook is not speaking on stage at most of these <laughs> Bob, Bobby Bonds will not be attending, no. 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 Uh, do they want to learn and grow with your team? Do they want you to network or to spread the company's mission for world domination? Figure out Always. what will get their attention. I think that's fair, you know? I mean... Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, if you look through the conferences, they're, they're all, they all exist for various different reasons. You've got NOAA from an investment point of view. Uh, you've got um, Web Summit, which has obviously got big names and it's a great PR uh, gig. But you can have a look at who's going to be attending these and try and pick one that, that piques your boss's interest in, in the idea that that might be positive for your business. Do what we do. Bring your boss to the, to the conference. Andy came down to Unbound of Us last year and we had a great day. Yeah, what you did know, we do? We had, just, we had a beer. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's not true. I was in a talk. You come into the talk whilst I'm sitting there making notes on this wonderful speech. You go, Jack, Andy needs us outside now. Outside I go, going, oh, God, what's going on? He's like, yeah, we're going to the pub. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> so take, take your boss to a conference because you might end up in the pub. <laughs> Find their weakness, Jack. 
<laughs> I love that, that step two is exploit it for all it's worth. Yeah. I, I, I think the most pertinent one was world domination to me at that point. It's the third time I said fucking pertinent as well. No, 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 no. This, this, this is a three-step thing. Um, uh, world domination was part of step one. Step two is okay. exploit it for all it's worth. Okay. That's so hone sound. in on that weakness and pump it till it's dry. Using that beer analogy, perfect. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Quite literally, pump sh- him full of beer. <laughs> yeah. Show, show them the slick lineup. Check out uh, any group deals. Um, and uh, yeah, tell your whole team. So start listening yep. to what cool partners have been signed up, uh, who you can become best friends with. And it's a fair point, you know, if there's a good lineup, if there's a good conference lineup, and there's some people there who you think are genuinely inspiring, then network with them. They're there for a reason. There's no reason why you can't reach out and, and, um, and get to know them. Net, you know, that's the whole flipping point of going to these things, right? Just, just lie to your boss as well. Like, come on, just say, oh, yeah, there's a tech conference around the corner. It's fucking, what's his name? Tim Apple's going to be there. Did you see that, by the way, Dave? Tim Apple. Have you seen that? No. Donald Trump sitting with, uh, with Tim Cook. And he says, oh, it's right, so yeah, nice yeah. of Tim Apple to come here with us. Brilliant. But yeah, just, um, just lie to your boss. Just say you got, you've got a learning day. Like, who cares? It's a tech event. You're going to be learning all day. Blend, bend the truth. Say, um, yeah, say Bezos is going to be down there. Who cares? Right, step three here. Step three will warm the hearts of many managers. Step three is profit. Ugh, ROI. <laughs> yeah, it's true, right? If you're going to go along to these things, then you need some tangible outcome. Otherwise, it'll be your one and only visit. Very true. Very true. Um, so I yeah, like I'm, I'm coming at it from the wrong angle. We've been very lucky to be allowed to attend events and, <laughs> and stuff like that. But that is all to get world domination as well. You know, we go to these events because we want to be there. We want to dominate. But yeah. then we always say there's room for other podcasts. Uh, so we will dominate the world, but there's there's room for all of us. Well, we'll dominate on mass as a team. Ah, oh, yeah, I like. We'll, that. we'll be like, like we'll be like the Avengers. Oh. Oh, do you know what's really fucked me off about that, right? So I'm, I'm, I subscribe to about 50,000 different nerdy YouTube uh, channels. And I got an a update from one coming today. And it actually gave me a spoiler for the new Avengers film. Like it said, leaked footage shows XXX from new film. I was like, I don't want to read that. I didn't want to know that that happened. Well, we, oh, we surely know that they're all not dead, or at least they'll all be brought back to life. Well, Dave, we don't know. We don't know. All right? Like, surely, they might surely all be dead, but <laughs> dimension hopping. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. But surely the thing, though, with, with Marvel films is uh, you just got to read several different versions of the comics and you know it's going to be one of them. Uh, the thing is with Marvel, if you watch any of the origin stories, you've watched all of the origin stories. You only need to watch one Marvel origin story and they're exactly the same. I'm going to go see Captain Marvel next week. And someone's already said it's it's essentially like just a, like an origin story that everyone's seen before. But yeah, I'm but... really really excited to see it because I am excited to see Brie Larson smashing it, going binary, acting like a tough bastard. I'm really excited for that film. Hey, look, we're recording on International Women's Day, and exactly, I think we should laud a superhero film being properly led and centered around yep. a strong uh, female role model. That's a positive. Yeah. Because, Dave, you and I both know the women in our lives are much stronger than us, much smarter than us. Oh, the, you know, the, the women in my life, I mean, there's, there's, there's two, and one of them is a cat, and they're both smarter than I am. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I would say any sentient being 
cat or otherwise is probably on a level with me, to be honest. By hey, the way, I, sh- I should put in a spoiler. Uh, he probably won't listen, but Andy is so much more than just beer. We are just kidding. I mean, beer and beer. Yeah, Andy. That's about the level. Andy, no. yeah. If you're, if you're listening, Andy, we love you. Yeah. Look, uh, let's, uh, let's round off the show there. Uh, thank you, Carsten, for coming, coming on and being our guest. Really interesting around uh, culture and customer service. Um, but until then, Jack, enjoy the valley, the proper valley. No. Yeah, well, not even the proper valley. It's uh, South London Valley, not Welsh Valley. But yeah, very excited. The, the Welsh Valley is the proper valley? That is, you know, when you hear the valley, you think of Wales, don't you? Or is that just me? No. Did you ever watch no. the TV program, The Valleys, that was like Geordie Shaw yeah. in Wales? The Valleys, plural, not the valleys. It's the same thing. Like, that's just, you're just nitpicking there. It's the same thing. <laughs> you work with language. How can you say that plural and singular is the same fucking thing? Look, you know, if I'm saying it, it's fine. Just, that's fine. Right. The valley. Okay. Let's leave it there, right? Have a nice weekend. Oh no, fuck, it's Monday show. Have a nice week.